0: Hey guys, welcome to Bankless Takes. We've got a few topics for you. First of all, David, I want to talk about Ethereum. Ethereum right now is hilariously underpriced, my friend. I'm just calling it. I've mm-hmm. gotten to the stage where I'm just a bit angry about this. And we're going to talk angry about it. The yeah, there's a fundamentals mismatch between the market price and what Ethereum's actually doing. We've got Bitcoin above 40K. We got token prices surging. And I want to talk to you about why I think ETH should also be surging. David, it's the market that's wrong. It's not us. What else we got?
1: Speaking of fundamentals, does Solana have any? A notable (laughs) crypto investor said that there is a 25% chance of Solana flipping Ethereum. How did he get to this number? We will do our best to unpack that. Lastly, I want to tell you why I'm starting
0: to hate debating the word decentralized or decentralization. I love the concept, but I hate what the word has become and what I think we should use instead. As always, these are the takes this week from David and myself. If you don't like our takes, there's other episodes for you. But this is (laughs) where we cram it all into one concise episode. David, we got a shout out from one of
1: our friends and sponsors. What do they want us to know? AVO, previously known as Ribbon Finance, how you might know them, has been dominating the DeFi landscape with 70% market share in options and perps. Uh, They're now launching AEUSD. So while you do your trading of options and perps, you also get 4.7% yield while you do so, uh, thanks to the AEUSD. You can deposit and start trading at banklist.cc AVO. That's A-E-V-O. Ryan, why is Ethereum hilariously underpriced? This is a tweet you put out not too long ago. Uh, what do you mean by this? Dude, I, I'm just sick of it. I think I think somebody has to say it. Somebody has to start getting
0: loud or louder on Twitter because uh, it's just not right, David. I feel like Ethereum is hilariously underpriced at 2.2K right now. It's very clear with Bitcoin above 40K. We are now in the bull market and I'm seeing a lot of price pumping on like what ifs types right. of, of tokens other what what if price movements yeah yeah and i think ethereum has actual fundamentals so i spent some time enumerating the fundamentals and again mm-hmm. i don't know there there there's some price point at which like ethereum is is fairly priced mm-hmm. but in a bull market i don't think that price is 2.2k right yeah. i think it's a lot higher I, yeah. I i spent some time enumerating this in contrasting ethereum right now versus the start of the last bull cycle and uh, I, I remember the start of the last bull cycle. Um, Bitcoin had its run, DeFi tokens had its run. And at some point in time, a number of us, myself included, just said, enough is enough. ETH at like 200 is hilarious. It is mm-hmm. stupid. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, I started this thread at this time to just, Track the number as it went up. Started at 200, then it went to 300, then it went to 500, and then above 1,000. It started to become more fairly priced, you know, and I sort of tapered off after things got above 2K, where I'm feeling similarly about Ethereum right now. And here's what's different from last cycle to this cycle. David, first of all, Ethereum now makes 2.7 billion in annualized profits. That is fee revenue collected versus Ether issued. Yeah. Right. And uh, you can see all of this on ultrasound money, by the way. And if you contrast this with like, if, if you like a price to earnings, I mean, mm-hmm. how much are you paying for uh, ether market cap versus how much it's earning in terms of profit? It's at $2.7 billion. The PE ratio, which is a common metric used in uh, the stock market, a common metric used for any capital asset, whether you're renting a house or you're trying to value a stock, the PE ratio of Ethereum right now is 98. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is relatively low. Contrast that with Amazon. Amazon's about 75 right now. So the amount that you're paying for $1 of earnings is
1: $75 with Amazon. Okay? So I, I think what, that, what that means, uh, 98 to 75, is that the market is pricing in that. Ethereum will grow at least 25% faster than Amazon, to put yeah. it, like, reductively. Yeah, 25%. Is, is that a conservative estimate to you? Feels that way to me. If, if Amazon is a massive company. How do
0: you grow that thing very quickly? I know. Yeah. So, you, I mean, if you look at other um, high-tech s-
1: stocks, uh, Salesforce right now, you know what their PE mm-hmm. is, David? I, just I, I think, like, I saw Netflix at one point in time was at 400.
0: Netflix goes to 400. Salesforce right now, like, a uh, customer relationship management software, oh. software as a service, you know, it's been 163 is their that, p/e ratio. Zoom dumb. is 150.
1: Also okay? dumb. I mean and yet, maybe, maybe that's fair, but something is dumb here because <laughs> Ethereum's only 98. The global settlement system for the world potentially. That's the the total addressable market we're
0: playing at is only 98 and to me that seems ludicrous. Compare that to last cycle. All right, David. We like. I don't know what our PE was. Like infinity. It was actually in the negative because right. Ethereum wasn't even profitable, and now it's throwing off two point seven billion in cash. And might I remind folks, the only profitable chain. All right. So this is not like well, the other and chains. Tron. And Tron. Oh, Tron. Tron. <laughs> Tron. Yeah. Shout out it Tron. And Tron. Shout, shout out Justin Sun. Tron. Out Justin's son. Uh, <laughs> Tron. Uh, so that that that's my first point. I think that is completely different than last cycle. Also, David, I was looking at Ultrasound Money yet again, which is a fantastic place mm-hmm. to go view all of the uh, Ethereum fundamentals. And you know who are the highest block space buyers? This oh, let, let, me, let me guess. Cycle.
1: Protocols are. Protocols? Other protocols? protocols.
0: Yes. And a new entrant here. Okay. So I looked at the past seven days. And if you do that, um, of the top 10 block space buyers, consumers of Ethereum block space, five of those were layer twos. Hmm. Over the past seven days, Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. that is
0: an entirely net new demand agent, consumer of Ethereum block space that we didn't have in 2020, the start of the last bull run. Entire blockchains are now purchasing Ethereum block space. All right. No other chain has this, by the way. That is bullish, my friend. Like so Arbitrum can bundle hundreds of thousands, potentially millions of transactions into one concise atomic blockchain purchase of Mm -hmm. Ethereum block space. You have entire chains that are new purchasing agents uh, for Ethereum block space right now. That Mm -hmm. is bullish, uh, I think, in particular,
1: compared to last cycle. is pretty unique to to, uh, Ethereum at this point. And I would also add Arbitrum, Polygon, ZK Sync, Optimism, they all have their chain development kit, which is about the freedom to fork their chain development kit so that anyone can be a chain that settles on Ethereum. Anyone can spin up a protocol that consumes ethereum block space so these bd teams of these layer twos are also working at establishing more and more network effects around the actual settlement of all chains into the same shared block space and so if the success of these bd teams is at all meaningful then all of a sudden they're spinning up more chains that are consuming more block space yeah i mean how many net new layer twos do you think will get this cycle david more than I can think of today. <laughs> right? Like at,
0: at least hundreds. So no. those are all net new buyers of Ethereum block space. And there will be some power law winners there. Um, mm-hmm. Another point that's different from last cycle in 2020. Ethereum is going to be deflationary this entire cycle.
1: Right. Okay? It, already it already is.
0: It already is. Last right. time it inflated at about 4%. So between 3 and 4%, depending on what the burn was during kind of the, the most, uh, r- this time it'll be at least negative
1: 0.5% deflationary we supply. We have never seen the full a full market cycle where ethereum was deflationary. We had yes! EIP, we had the merge happen late 2022, yeah. like at the end of the bull market. We have never seen like when all of the the massive amounts of demand for ethereum block space was happening it was all pre-merge. We have never seen a full cycle of complete ethereum deflation. We do not know how how hot the burn can get. It can, it can get pretty hot. I I wouldn't
0: be surprised if we saw like 1% to 2% for uh-huh. like periods of time, maybe oh, yeah. weeks, maybe yeah, yeah, months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like we've never been net deflationary in a bull market and this time uh, we will be. Another point, David. Okay, so we've been talking about um, Ethereum as if it's valued as a capital asset and is a pretty attractive mm-hmm. PE ratio, like relative to other uh, growth uh, tech stocks. That's not even factoring in the monetary premium mm-hmm. that Ethereum in Ether, the asset can actually have, right? So if you look at something like gold, you know, 10 to 20% of its use is industrial, right? It's like kind of like Mm -hmm. a ingredient, a commodity to produce other goods. It's a consumable Mm -hmm. product. The rest of that value of the, you know, eight to $10 trillion of value that is in the market cap of gold, that's all monetary premium. That's Mm -hmm. because people use it as money. They use it as a collateral. They use Mm -hmm. it as a store of value. Well, Mm -hmm. Ethereum and Ether, the asset, is a store of value, is a collateral source in the Ethereum economy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the 98 PE, that's just valuing it as a capital asset. Right. There's actually that's a dial. only
1: one part of the yeah. triangle
0: that <laughs> is valued at 98. So there's a dial on ultrasound money where you can just like uh you crank this up to the Make it equivalent to gold. Of gold. Equivalent
1: to gold, yeah. Equivalent uh, monetary yeah. premium. Because of gold. that's table stakes. If crypto meets gold at par in terms of money. I will consider that the bearish case for crypto. We are here to be at least beat gold. So gold is like a 10x above its utility value in
0: terms of monetary premium. If you did that for Ethereum, it just add 10x to it. Mm -hmm. It would be already be worth 22k. Yeah. Okay. And and and
1: and this okay. So this it's worth 22k if we give ETH monetary premium equivalent amount of gold and at a PE ratio equivalent to Amazon. Yes. Which again, I would consider (laughs) both of these the conservative versions of the long form of these things. Sure, and people can adjust that however yeah. they
0: want. If you don't believe in monetary premium, you just want to view uh, Ethereum as a capital asset, well, great, it's, you know, mm-hmm. a PE of 98 right now, mm-hmm. okay? If you want to crank that to like 10x, then you then you have the monetary premium value. So the other point that's different, this cycle, David, uh, bondholders, Ethereum bondholders, we call these validators, they're getting mm-hmm. paid, my friend. So right now, ultrasound money is about 5.3% Uh, inflation rate so if you add issuance which is about 3.1 you add kind of the fees the Mm -hmm. tips for um, block space themselves mev so the tip that you receive for block uh block space ordering
1: you get about 5.3 percent on your Mm -hmm. e-field which goes which goes up when block space demand also goes up so 5.3 percent is the current floor in this like early stage bull market environment And people say, well, a lot of chains have
0: yields, like any staking chain has yields. Okay, but the difference Mm -hmm. is Ethereum has real yields, Mm -hmm. not just nominal yields. A a lot of the issuance when you're doing proof of stake on, on other chains, if they're not if they're inflating as much as they are right. dishing out to validators,
1: right. it's just a nominal increase. Yields not- are like 10% and inflation is like 7%. So actually, you're only getting
0: 3%. Yeah. And
1: oftentimes, it's
0: even less than that, right? Mm-hmm. It's like there's kind of a, a delta there. So this is all 100% real
1: yield versus like nominal yield, which I think- Not, is not just not just 100%. So it's always 5.3% real yield. And then you add on the 1% deflation, the half a percent deflation that we're currently experiencing. You add on both of those things. Yeah. Okay. Here's another thing,
0: David. This cycle, uh, Bitcoin is very likely, hopefully January, when you go destroy uh, Gary Gensler's Horcrux, um, yes, is going to get a spot ETF in the US. Uh-huh. Yep. We've, we've done episodes on this. This is mm-hmm. going to unlock trillions in capital. Guess what else is likely going to happen this cycle? I give yeah. this a 80% probability mm-hmm. in my mind, talking to all the analysts ethereum is going to get a spot etf as well mm-hmm. okay it'll be mm-hmm. bitcoin and ethereum and no one else is really close in getting through the gauntlet of getting a like it took 13 years for mm-hmm. bitcoin to get here okay it's taking seven for ethereum no one else is going to be ready this cycle and we've done entire episodes on this this unlocks trillions in potential capital mm-hmm. okay so and what i would say an amplifier for this now that ethereum do you remember last uh, cycle People were upset about crypto, investing in crypto. It's like, it's mm-hmm. not ESG friendly. Look at all right. the proof of work. Like yep. NFTs are bad because they burn so much energy. All right. If you look at a Bitcoin or Ether ETF, only one of those is mm-hmm. actually like ESG friendly right, right now. Only, only one of those doesn't burn any like, you know, carbon. Whether you care about that, bankless listener, it, it's kind of irrelevant to the narrative
1: of Because like, the market wants that. And, somebody and That's not your values. That's fine. But the market loves that as well. So that's what we got we got the only asset to get
0: a a spot etf and it's the only asset to get a spot etf aside from bitcoin but Mm -hmm. it's the only asset to be esg friendly with the spot uh etf so that is bullish
1: from an inflows perspective Oh, I've got I've got more to add to that from oh, please, Yeah. So this, you know, the Bitcoin and Ethereum ETFs, this is something that's echoed by Matt Hogan at um, Blockwise and a few other other places. Ethereum as an instrument, as a financial instrument, is just more interesting to traditional market investors because it looks and feels like a high growth tech stock in comparison to Bitcoin, which is a little bit more on the money side, which is, you know, honestly confusing to a lot of investors. And so while Bitcoin has maybe 2.53x the market size of Ethereum, I think Ethereum itself out punches above its weight class in terms of external market demand simply because it's viewed as a software tech stock platform, which is easier to categorize in like the high gross risk, at risk assets that uh, traditional invest, uh, investors will, will uh, categorize it in. So, I mean, it's, not going to, it's probably not going to meet Bitcoin in terms of external capital demand, but it's going to punch above its weight class in terms of its market cap versus how much external demand that it, there is. This is what is the vibe that has been reported by people who speak to traditional investors out in this space. I think, uh, bankless listener, David and I could go on uh, with these takes. Uh, uh there's, there's like the eigenlayer increasing the ETH yield. There is, uh, if Ether being sent out to other chains, being the money for other chains, which is something that we saw in monetary last bull market, the yeah. monetary premium of ETH is strong. People need low liquidity chains, low TVL chains need to have Ether has the money in their system because their system's not money either. Yeah. Like the, the growth of the ether unit of account has been up only. Yeah. I just like, I, 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 you know um,
0: as an uh, ether investor and watching the rest Mm -hmm. of the market kind of like rage and ether hasn't Mm -hmm. followed suit. Right. I'm Mm -hmm. actually past the cope phase. This isn't even cope. This is now I'm in the phase. And I remember I was in this phase in 2022, whereas I'm just objectively like, angry about this like it's stupid <laughs> It just call it what it is it's stupid, it's stupid. and I think there's a, a ton of uh, investors in the Ethereum community who are looking at this like this tweet got, this tweet got massive traction mm-hmm. basically and we're no all tweet, looking at your Ether. tweet
1: that you were pointing at which is yeah. like kind of recapping this, this yeah of and this.
0: we're all looking at Ether and we're like um, everybody is chasing these what
1: ifs and right.
0: Ethereum has fundamentals everyone's going
1: down the market cap stack going down on the risk curve
0: and it's stupid so yeah. whether the market catches up to that or not uh, I'm feeling very comfy with these mm-hmm. fundamentals and I'm just going to, you know, keep being angry until ETH is, uh, you know, a little closer to 10K at least, David. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm going to keep tweeting this uh,
1: 5K and below at least. Um, so this is I, your narrative, Ryan, or is this fundamentals? Yeah, good question. Wh- which is this? What's the difference? What's yeah. the difference? Should we
0: talk about that? Sure. Okay. So there was another narrative, I think, going on in uh, crypto Twitter that mm-hmm. was um, the flippening. Not of of Ethereum of Bitcoin, but of Solana flipping uh, Ethereum. And friend of the show, an investor, Santiago Santos, uh, said this on the podcast. He thinks there's a 20% chance that Solana actually flips ETH. Okay. I, I thought okay. we should talk okay, about this Sandy. take on Vegas. Okay.
1: Let's, let's hear the rationale.
0: Okay, so do you want to hear him explain himself? Yep.
1: There's a version of this next cycle where Solana flips Ethereum. I think it's a greater than 25% probability. You think it's a 25% probability that, Mo- Solana-,
0: 20% probability that Solana flips Ethereum? I don't want to say this cycle doesn't necessarily mean that Ethereum shrinks in size. Solana just uniquely enables different use cases that introduces way more usage, utility, therefore value. <laughs> so Santiago goes in more detail in a follow-up tweet fundamentally the solana case bull case uh boils down to this one a viable scalability roadmap with more integrated network architecture parallel execution and local fee markets really cheap Mm -hmm. transactions i think is what he's saying here number two fire dancer this is a key network upgrade for network speed reliability and decentralization we've talked about this a number of times on on bankless again this is max throughput tps Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, built by jump capital by the way uh number 3 <laughs> talking to teams has made me appreciate use cases so santiago is a vc so he's talking to he's talking to the devs which is definitely what you should be doing and uh appreciate use cases that are only possible in solana
1: only it's, possible it's on solana o category opos oh,
0: Number number four, the ecosystem survived FTX and is flourishing, similar to Ethereum post DAO hack and fork. Um, I definitely uh, agree with that one. Let's talk about let's talk about these these others and maybe contrast them. Uh-huh. F- first of all, um, some people are saying this is more narrative mm-hmm. than it is actual fundamentals.
1: I would be one of these people. Okay,
0: what's what what's your take on this?
1: Okay, so yeah, so there's this is kind of what has come to be the Solana chant. You know, fire dancer. Uh, low fees, parallel execution, local fee markets, all of the things, by the way, that Ethereum doesn't have. Like Ethereum doesn't have local fee markets. P- Ethereum doesn't have parallel execution.
0: On its and layer so, one, bro.
1: On its layer one, yeah, on the, yeah. the Ethereum layer one. Yeah. Uh, and so like a lot of this is just like, hey, the, these are this is what Solana has that Ethereum doesn't have. It's kind of like how I will simply simplify and redu- uh, reduce this down to what the elements that I see. Okay. Uh, well, and- Santiago says all of these equal a twenty percent chance of actually mm-hmm.
0: flipping Ethereum. So let's say let's let's just let's just quantify this. If Ethereum is valued at one trillion dollars mm-hmm. at some point in this this market cycle, so that'd be right. a four X. you 4X, know like, Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's um, a ten K ETH and above. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. That would make you know Solana would have to be above one trillion. Let's say one point one trillion dollars, which
1: would be about I don't know a fifty x. That would be Ryan to get to for Solana to get to one point one trillion. That would be a forty four x, which would put Sol price at two thousand six hundred and forty dollars. Dang, it's big. (laughs) I should buy. I should go buy Sol. Clearly, I
0: I I mean, there's but let's talk about that. There's definitely Mm -hmm. a case for buying Sol, David. Mm -hmm. Right, but the question is, what is the case? Is the case fundamentals? Is it narrative? Or like maybe there's some, mis- there's some difference in what people mean when they say mm-hmm. fundamentals. Cause if you talk to uh, Santiago, he would say, guys, all of these Look are the fundamentals, fundamentals yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, and what I point to you now that we have kind of much more maturity in terms mm-hmm. of uh, our change this cycle, I'd be like, show me the revenue, show me the profits, show me the
1: numbers. Where's the 3 it, billion in block? Get these ideas sales? out of my face. Show me yeah, the numbers.
0: I'm a little bit more skewed on that direction. Like, I, at a, I ske- the 25 billion dollar network. Show me the money. A little bit, right? At, mm-hmm. at a one trillion dollar network, you better damn well be showing me how yeah. this thing is is throwing off like you know hundred tens of tens of billions in cash annually. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. go on. What do you think's going on here?
1: Uh, okay, so. <laughs> Here's exactly what I think is going on here. (laughs) There is this tendency. I remember doing this in 2017, where I would pull out my calculator, I would perceive some likelihood about uh, 3x on my shitcoin bags, and then I would like, you know, add those two together, and then that would be my future net worth. And I would look at, and so here's a kid. This is a meme that like everyone should be familiar with because this is. What you are going to do, bankless listener, in this bull market? You're going to pull out your calculator. You're going to put some inputs into it, and then you're going to like, you know, look at all the zeros, and then you're going to get ecstatic. Or a like, spreadsheet oh, if you're yeah. more sophisticated. Yeah. Sure. If, yeah. You know. Yeah. But you don't. You just need your iOS app to really do it to <laughs> look at all of your, you know, your future w- uh, rich net worth. So, like the my critique here is that some, there's no inputs into the calculation, and this is something that I think all bull market navigators should be aware of. Um remember when Cardano finally introduced smart contracts into its system? Mm-hmm. You know what happened afterwards? Like super strongly like anticipated upgrade, Cardano was finally going to get smart contracts, it was going to enter the DeFi arena and then it introduced smart contracts and then the token price like plummeted because all of a sudden narrative and idea and future Get became present it. and got yeah. tested. And everyone realized like, oh, now we have so much left to build. Mm. There is a great premium for chains that are still in the idea phase. And so this is something that I think all bull market navigators should understand. Narratives are in in bull markets. Here's a response to Santiago's analysis uh, from Kip Fishy Catfish, who's a crypto Twitter account, and says, quote, can't name the use case beyond vague categories, can't name the app that's doing the unnamed use case, can't name where and how those users will show up, and also can't name the decade when the unnamed user will show up for the unnamed app for the unnamed use case. Meanwhile, Given that Solana transactions cost fractions of a penny, you need tens of billions of transactions per day before Solana breaks even on revenue versus expenses, given its inflation rate and market cap. Meanwhile, as a secular trend, the cost of transaction execution, data availability, settlement, and the amount of MEV extraction will all trend downwards. Literally everyone is working to make chains cheaper and faster. Nevertheless, Sol will do great by simply memeing, chain go fast. And that's normie-friendly enough to obfuscate the fact that Seoul won't be accruing value before 2030 because 99% of the population can't delineate between the difference between a protocol and a token well enough. This is especially true when the token is a layer-one gas token, a.k.a. like a layer-one currency, which the market treats with irrational premiums and kid gloves. Plus, I'm sure Chris Bernisky can also prepare for some scripted lines for Kathy Wood to read on CNBC about Ooh. how fast and cheap it is to create some extra pumps. This entire space is deeply unserious and this is, <laughs> <laughs> fishy wow. catfish is like a crypto Twitter and on account and sometimes I just really appreciate these accounts who just come out and say it like it is and I like I just have to give it like this is this is just okay him. but let, yeah. let's
0: explain a few things that that uh, fishy catfish is saying here he's basically he, he shows a chart here which is mm-hmm. Solana revenue fees versus expenses okay let's Let's um, reorient Bankless listeners to to what this actually means. So the first thing you have to know about blockchains is they sell something. They sell something on, called only blocks. one thing.
1: There's blocks. only one thing they sell. They sell blockchain.
0: blockchain. Sell blocks. Uh, Apple sells I, I iPhones. Blockchain sell blocks. Okay, we repeat mm-hmm. that uh, all of the time. And there's a market price for the value of their blocks. Those are like and the market pays for that in two ways. One, they pay for to get their transaction in a block. Okay, and then they also pay for the ordering of the mm-hmm. block, okay? Right now, Solana's um fees, remember I was saying 2.7 billion in annualized profit? Mm-hmm. That's how much Ethereum right now annualized is making from its block-based sales. Solana right now is making about $140,000 in daily fees, okay? So that's the amount of revenue it's actually mm-hmm. bringing in, okay? Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about cost. It mm-hmm. costs money to secure the network. How does a blockchain pay for this? In fees, but Mm -hmm. mostly through issuance. It Mm -hmm. inflates its own supply to pay those that secure the network, the army, the validators, the mercenaries that do this, right? Uh, Bitcoin works the same way. They just pay Mm -hmm. miners, okay? Mm -hmm. But in Ethereum and Solana, they're paying validators. In Ethereum, they're also paying validators a a certain amount in in terms of ETH rewards. But in Ethereum, when you subtract the revenue that's being Mm -hmm. created from blocks-based sales... And, and you subtract the uh, cost to, to pay validators, it's actually at a net profit of 2.7 mm-hmm. uh, billion per year, is what we were saying. Uh, for Solana and most of the other chains out there, they are deeply unprofitable. So, Solana, for example, in October, they spent 42 million in terms of issuance. So, that is validator expense, like the cost to secure mm-hmm. the network. And they brought in about 1 million in terms of revenue. Okay, so there's a delta there. That's why right. it's a, a deeply unprofitable chain at this point in time. That's what that's what Cat Fishy is, is saying here. It's mm-hmm. basically like we're beyond like the speculative era of crypto. Like that was that was series A, maybe series mm-hmm. B. We're post some product market fit. Like we actually are selling block space to the masses. And so you can start to compare something like Solana but you know, beyond speculative fervor, you can actually mm-hmm. look at transaction revenue and how much it's doing, what the profitability is, and maybe we should be looking at chains. From that sort of fundamentals perspective, and Mm -hmm. less from just from a speculative, hey, number go up. Like it's, you know, it's
1: valued based on a story that we tell. Mm -hmm. Putting these into daily numbers Solana collects $140,000 of daily fees, daily transaction revenue, and then it issues $11 million in soul tokens to go to validators who, similarly to Bitcoin, actually have to sell a decent amount of their soul in order to maintain. Their, their profit, Rain, maintaining a Solana validator is actually a pretty expensive endeavor. And so that turns into sell pressure. And this is something I would say, going back to one of Santiago's uh, uh, rationales for why Solana has a 25% chance to flip Ethereum, one of them was Fire Dancer, right? Why is every, everyone stoked about Fire Dancer in the Solana ecosystem? Because it makes transactions cheaper and faster. It actually reduces the amount of fees that the Solana network can take. And so there's this like identity crisis about Solana that I think is like under the, under the, under the hood, under the, under the iceberg. They're, all they want to do is reduce, reduce, reduce fees. And also that will just put them further and further away from actually being able to store value in the native soul token, which goes back to what Fishy was saying, this massive critique that Fishy was saying, the market treats with irrational premiums and kid gloves. Because no one can understand the difference between a protocol versus its token well enough. If there's bullish adoption on Solana, clearly that goes well for the SOL token. But that is not a given. And this is something that I think the entire industry has struggled to actually produce into its layer one uh, assets, which actually kind of induces this speculative demand about the narrative of tokens, especially in bull markets, because in bull markets, fundamentals don't matter. It's all about the story. It's all about pricing in the future. And yeah. it's also about pricing in the perceived future, not the actual future. Well, let's let's go back to
0: Santiago's take, though. So mm-hmm. um, I actually think that there is the possibility that Solana flippins Ethereum. I wouldn't rate it as twenty uh, percent. Right. Sure. I would rate this as like I don't know in the single digit percentages. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't um, completely say that that that's not going to happen. But I think if it does so, it will do so based on narrative not fundamentals, because right. I don't see the fundamentals. When I say fundamentals, I'm talking about, you know, is the block space profitable, mm-hmm. basically. And I, I don't see those rising, uh, you know, 40x this right. year, let's yeah. say. And it, it, particularly when they are, you know, expanding the the transactions per second on the Solana in, in the way that they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- wh- what uh, chance do you give it? What, like, do you think that Solana could flip in Ethereum this cycle?
1: Yeah, so, like, what are some catalysts, some sole catalysts that I can actually get behind that it doesn't have now that it could have in the future? Uh, like, we we give a lot of critiques. I'm about to give a lot of critiques of, like, Solana TVL. and It's not that great. But that's something that could actually change. Like, more stable coins could go to Solana. Sure. ETH could go to Solana. And all of a sudden, we can get some actual real TVL into this chain uh, That's not doesn't make it uh, tied with Blast, for example. Uh, and so... Another one is like reservation f- demand for Soul. Okay, so if Soul's not generating revenue, if Soul is inflating, if that can be offset by alternative reservation demands, as in collateral inside of DeFi applications, that can be a real fundamental monetary habit. premium for Soul. Monetary basically. premium for yeah. Soul, yeah. And so, like, if the validators aren't able to hold on to their Soul because their operational expenses and the issuance rates are so high, then somebody else, like the other uh, sinks for the Soul token, come come about. That can largely be DeFi. And so like stuff like this can start to also create a narrative like, oh, the soul is now money, right? Maybe the yeah. Solana community goes through the soul is money uh, phase because they realize that that's actually how you have sustainable economics at the layer one. So like maybe that can also help propel a flippening, a, a narrative flippening. But I'm with you. It's in the single digits. Why do I think it's so low? I want to I level check some fundamentals about Solana that we all know and love. TVL. Solana is eighth after the three major Ethereum Layer 2s, Arbitrum, Optimism, and Polygon. Also eighth after Avalanche, another competing ETH killer. And all of these, including the Ethereum Layer 2s, are behind Tron and Binance Smart Chain, which <laughs> are, of course, behind Ethereum as well. Yeah. So, like, it's got some TVL to accrue in the first place. Look. Even after all this excitement from Solana, and the there is, like, I think there was, like, 100,000, yeah, 100,000 uh, active monthly users on Solana, and that has since jumped up to 175 in the last month. So there's yeah. some growing adoption here. Um, even after all of that, we have not seen a growth in stable coins or TVL on Solana all that much. It's competitive it's a, out there, David. It is Like all of these
0: layer twos, all of these chains are, are mm-hmm. launching. It's basically all the competition is going on the execution layer.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: there's even uh, probably... I I would guess there'd be up to five SVM layer two chains. That's Solana virtual machine Mm -hmm. layer two chains that are trying to like Ah, uh, clone the success of Solana's mm-hmm. parallelized uh, execution environment right. and launch that as a layer two. That's going to
1: be competitive with Solana as well. At least I think it will be. Yeah, um, and that's that's just the SVM. There's also parallelized EVM teams like Monad coming onto the Ethereum into into the the layer one space. To be honest, and so the, and also the whole narrative around Solana is the payments chain because Visa is integrated there. Uh, I'm sorry, Ethereum's not even the payments chain. It's Tron. You have yeah. to compete with Tron, not even Ethereum. So the whole like Solana Ethereum narrative is again just a narrative, and that's just like the first half of fundamentals reality. The second half is like okay, if we want Soul issuance to net out, as in we want burn on Sol, Solana does have a burn, fifty percent of transactions on Solana are burned. We need a five hundred X in transactions volume on Solana to break even to stop issuing Soul more than is burned. Five hundred X. And then if we want to match uh, Ethereum in demands of in terms of deflation, which is the Solana narrative, by the way, this is the art narrative that um, Austin articulated to me when I had him on the show. That needs to be a 1000x in demand of Solana transaction volumes, which brings Solana to a whopping 250 billion transactions per second that it has to sustain forever in order to be at par with Ethereum's bear market deflation volumes. 250 billion transactions per second, Ryan. Does that seem reasonable? Is that well, a rational so, number?
0: So uh, I don't think so. And I think it's time to start looking at uh, kind of the, these uh, chains f- from a profitability perspective. I mean, mm-hmm. we've been doing this for 13 we've years, guys. We've been trying
1: guys. to get this industry to move that towards said, fundamentals and profitability for a cycle. That said...
0: Let, let me flip that, and, and lem, let me give you the uh, if we're wrong, how are we wrong? Sort of mm-hmm. take you could take the you could make the case that we are so early that competing for market share is the thing that you want to do. That profitability doesn't matter. So if you look at a, you know a startup, they don't care so much about your profit. They don't care at all. They want you to recycle all of your profit back into growth, and that in a certain way, that's essentially what a, what a Solana is doing. They're, they don't care about profit. In fact, they're willing to dilute the existing, I'll I'll call it in quotes, token holders, shareholders, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Dilute them and recycle that and subsidize blockchain fees. So the Solana argument would be like, no, we're just playing a game to make uh, loss leader transactions as cheap as possible. And we don't care if um, we're diluting our token holders right now because we'll make that back later in network effect and maybe potential MEV. So I would say if we're wrong, David, that's how we could be wrong. I'll also say like a second thing, which is uh, Ethereum and Layer 2s has not solved its uh, UX problem right now. Yep, It's really freaking stupid and hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, to like, to, I'm, I'm moving two from Ethereum things, to like yeah. Arbitrum yeah. and like the centralized exchange only supports uh Ethereum. And so I have to hop to Ethereum and then get on my layer two. And what do I do? And now I'm on this chain, now I'm on that chain. Where are my assets? I can't even find them. Like there's the other case that this cycle, right? Ethereum UX doesn't get solved. Maybe it never gets solved. And Solana just has like a better user experience. You just come on the phantom wallet It's just everything works. You pay like nothing in transaction fees. Yeah, if you're getting like MEV uh, attacked, you know, it doesn't matter. Users don't notice and they'll create the killer app that way. So I will say like, let's be open and you have to be open to try to figure out where you're wrong. Oh, the last last area, I think this could be the, the case, which is that this whole entire crypto thing becomes less of a revolution and more like a TradFi type of thing. It's mm. just like per, everything is AML KYC'd, right? Like we don't care about, um, you know, non-sovereign, non-nation state right. store of value. Um, it becomes a lot like an open database for traditional finance. In mm. those conditions, then like the decentralization of Ethereum might be entirely overkill. Right. Those are three ways I think we could be wrong on this, and and you you have to be open to.
1: I want to unpack that last thing about uh, decentralization and whether this crypto experiment can actually produce the censorship resistant non-sovereign store value money, or if it just becomes uh an extension of TradFi in a more efficient manner. Uh there's a lot of um perceivedness about the word decentralization. It can mean a lot of different things. So I think we need to unpack that. And that's gonna come in the second half of the show. But first a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors. That make this episode possible. Kraken knows crypto. We are all on the journey of building a better financial system, and Kraken has been leading that charge for over a decade. Crypto is world-changing tech, and it's Kraken's mission to accelerate the adoption of crypto so that you and the rest of the world can achieve financial freedom. Head over to Kraken.com to see what crypto can be. And once you buy your assets on Kraken, and you need to start exploring DeFi, make sure you explore it through your MetaMask portfolio—a deeper, more expansive way to use MetaMask that gives you the battle station you need to navigate navigate the bull market. You can buy, swap, bridge, and stake your crypto assets with ease. I already know that you have a MetaMask wallet, so go check out your MetaMask portfolio. Did you know that Arbitrum is the fourth largest chain by economic activity in crypto? How did Arbitrum get there? Well, with low fees and fast transactions, of course. With over 600 apps on Arbitrum, the Arbitrum ecosystem has a solution for you. Whether you're into DeFi, NFTs, or you simply need a fast chain, or even if you want your own dedicated throughput with an Arbitrum orbit, Arbitrum has a home for you. Visit Arbitrum.io to get started with your journey with one of the most active chains in crypto. And if you want to try out a newer Layer 2 to the Ethereum family, try out Celo, a battle tested EVM Layer 1 that has recently decided to move to Ethereum. Celo is the mobile first carbon negative blockchain built for the regenerative future. With the Celo Layer 2, gas fees will stay low and you can even pay for gas using ERC20 tokens. Follow Org on Twitter and visit Celo.org to shape the future of Ethereum. Uniswap Labs just released the Uniswap Mobile Wallet for iOS, the newest, easiest way to trade tokens on the go. You can easily create or import a new wallet, buy crypto on any available exchange with your debit card, and you can seamlessly swap on Mainnet, Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism. So you can now go directly to DeFi with the Uniswap mobile wallet. Safe simple custody from the most trusted team in DeFi. Download the Uniswap wallet today on iOS. And last up, GMX, but specifically GMX v2, offering even faster on-chain trading for DeFi liquidity providers. GMX is a permissionless decentralized exchange that offers perpetual futures in spot trading. Liquidity providers receive 63% of all of GMX's protocol fees, and GMX users get a referral link to lower fees for you and your referrals. Try out GMX v2 now at app.gmx.io. Now onto the show.
0: All right, let's get into this word, David, that you alluded to, this word decentralization. I've actually, I think I've I've come to hate the word decentralization, not like the meaning of it. So, so I don't want uh, folks to get me wrong, but just the debates about it and the lack mm-hmm. of definition for it and the lack of context and the whole discussion around it, at least in uh, crypto circles and on crypto twi- Twitter, it's almost mm-hmm. become like a a form of religious warfare. It's like right. a super. decentralized, word. yeah. Yeah. So Fiscantes uh, tweeted this out. I wish key ETH people would be as outraged about most Layer 2 security models being basically a multi-sig as they are about Lido getting bigger market share. If Fiscantes is showing a picture of uh, Layer 2B, which is actually saying the sta- showing the stage of decentralization mm-hmm. of all of these Layer 2s. The furthest along is Arbitrum Stage 1. We've done an entire episode about mm-hmm. this and how they're uh, planning to get to Stage 2. But we've got Optimism, which is still Stage 0. They don't have fraud proofs fully implemented, right? Mm -hmm. And so he's saying, hey, the layer twos you guys are talking about, they're not fully decentralized. Mm -hmm. Um, Emin from Avalanche uh, also says this, it's taking a while, but finally people are beginning to realize that we all got into crypto for decentralization, that's that word again, and trustlessness, and layer twos are leading us away from those central values. Okay, (laughs) That's (laughs) that's the take. My take was a little bit different, of course, being a layer two bull. I think layer twos are awesome. I mm-hmm. think layer twos are becoming more decentralized over time. I think the community isn't the ethereum community is completely aware. That's why we have like layer two. That's being- why we have this website to track it in the first place? Yes, and that all of the layer two teams, at least the legitimate layer two teams, are working. They are in a competitive mm-hmm. uh, you know battle. To actually become to 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 graduate up this chain and go from zero to stage two, and uh, to do it first, like there's a lot of social pressure uh, on them. There's a lot of um, value unlock pressure on them, and I think Ethereum is actually doing a fairly good job self-regulating it. You mm-hmm. know, we don't want this to go from zero to two right away, right? Because what if there's also what if risky. there's a hack?
1: Mm-hmm. Right. What if
0: there's a bug? Right. What, like, what if you have uh, to do something? We, we have some steps in between there that make mm-hmm. logical sense. But my take is people say, say otherwise, they might be trying to sell you something. That's right. my take.
1: And that's a little uh, feisty back to to Emin. There's a tweet that went around the Twitter space from uh, this Ignis DeFi research account, w- which said, Avalanche, ThorChain, and Solana are more decentralized than Ethereum, which is in bold at the very top of the tweet. So you know he knows that this is going to invite some critique. Yeah. Uh, and then he I follows up Twitter. and goes, at least according to the Nakamoto coefficient. It's a measure of how many entities can collectively shut down a blockchain. Okay, so what is a Nakamoto coefficient this is exactly how he said. It's this measure for the minimum number of entities that can come together to clue to shut down a blockchain. This was actually made by Satoshi Nakamoto. And it was, um, I think, more apt in the proof of work sense where you have large centralized mining operations. And if you know, three of them can get above then you have a Nakamoto coefficient of three. Since the evolution of proof of work, the Nakamoto coefficient, in my mind, this is my opinion, is now more of a thought experiment, more than it is actually a measurable metric. It's the thought experiment of how many entities, what is the minimum number of entities that come together that's needed to actually take down a blockchain and control a blockchain. And so it's not an actual applicable metric, but it's the thing that the Solana community loves to measure with decentralization. And and so he makes this tweet, Avalanche, chain Solana, more decentralized than Ethereum because of this Nakamoto coefficient. In order to produce a number out of the Nakamoto coefficient, you need to have extremely subjective interpretable metrics for what is actually a colluding entity. Is it a, is it a, is, it Lido, is Lido one entity or is it 32? Well, right? Here, for, for example, where Ethereum score is so low, they, they rate Lido as one. It's just right. one colluding entity. Which is a subjective opinion. And you can make the argument going both ways. And it really is nuanced between it's a little bit like one, it's a little bit like 32, and it's somewhere in between these things. How you determine what an entity is is also subjective. Yeah, so I, I thought, think you could make the
0: argument that, let's say, all the Solana uh, validators that receive some sort of funding from mm-hmm. the Solana Foundation, which right. many of them do, also only count as one. profitable at all. Right? I'm, I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying you can make that argument. And that's why this is such a subjective metric.
1: So my take is that if your system for measuring decentralization puts Binance, Smart Chain, Solana, and Avalanche higher than Ethereum, then maybe it's actually your metric that's flawed and this is exactly what i followed up and said with ignis like this just shows that this measure of decentralization is poor and they asked what alternative measures are more appropriate to measure decentralization it is a great question and i I, th- I think we really want we as an industry want to be able to define and parameterize decentralization yeah but if a system is actually decentralized then it is unmeasurable because it's decentralized it's this weird catch 22 where if something is decentralized, it's inherently hard to grasp or yeah. measure. If it is measurable, that means there is a centralization vector that you are measuring. If it's not measurable, then it's decentralized. True decentralized systems are impossible to parameterize. It's noble to try and do this. It's a good attempt to a good thought experiments. There are lessons to be learned here. But truly decentralized systems can only be measured in their decentralization through like tests, acid tests, right? This is why Ethereum is so focused on censorship. We have this MEV watch website to show you how many transactions or blocks are being censored by people who don't want to violate OFAC sanctions post-tornado cash. That is one measure of ways you can test the decentralization of a system. Another way to test the decentralization of the system, can you download and verify a full node of that system? Can you also participate in In consensus of that system. Can you add blocks to the blockchain? Are you allowed to do that? How feasible is it? How easy is it for you to join the network and be a part of the network? There's no way to truly measure decentralization. You can only test it in various different ways.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. That's kind of my take on it is actually I think we have to get out of uh, this quest for a definition of this holy world word mm-hmm. called decentralization. Because every community is going to point to their set of features and be like, oh, here it is, right. we found decentralization. And the non-holy communities, the non-sacred communities will be those that don't have that feature set and are cut outside yep. of it. And yep. I think this applies to Bitcoiners who, mm-hmm. who talk about like, you got to run a full archive node and they define an archive node as a very specific thing that you know Ethereum has kind of a different uh, definition mm-hmm. of, of what a full node is and uh you know th- this was a, a debate in a religious war you know, a couple of um, years ago right uh you know some other communities have nakamoto coefficient they score very highly on that Nakimoto so they're like this is what decentralization actually means
1: <laughs> the worst thing about the nakamoto coefficient is you can measure it in, in an interpretable way it itself is not objective sure. it's sure. not an objective so, system and we will never
0: come up with an objective measurement of decentralization that's perfect so mm-hmm. my take is similar to yours david we should just stop trying let's we are beyond that again. We are beyond the narratives of what decentralization actually is. And now we're getting to fundamentals. Here's a fundamental. You brought it up. Uh, if you deploy something like tornado cash to your mm-hmm. chain, some sort of privacy tech, and the smart contracts themselves are sanctioned by the most powerful government in the world, that is the United States government says, mm-hmm. no, these smart tra- uh, contracts are illegal. Can the network still process that transaction? That's mm-hmm. the question. Okay? Okay. Mm-hmm. This is the case for uh, Tornado Cash on Ethereum. There are a list of uh, addresses, smart contract addresses, and actual wallets that are blacklisted by OFAC. Mm-hmm. Um, can those transactions still go through? On mm-hmm. Ethereum, the answer is yes.
1: Yes, they unequivocally
0: can. yes. Here's an entire website that's a watchdog for this. It's called MEV Watch. Mm-hmm. Not only can they go through, but actually OFAC compliant blocks have gone down over time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And like, there's a whole story here that we could get into. But the reality is, Ethereum has now passed an ACID test right now for coercion. Okay. Because why why do we even have decentralization? So that we can resist corruption and coercion. Mm -hmm. This is coercion. A major government says you cannot process the transaction. The Ethereum network processes it Uh, anyway. The Ethereum
1: network doesn't give a fuck.
0: The decentralization test is passed. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Thought experiment. If you had some sort of tornado cash, uh, smart contract, OFAC, uh, sanctioned addresses on your chain, will the transactions still go through? Ethereum is really the only chain that's gone through that. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin really has, I mean, Bitcoin
1: it has also DeFi, passed it that matter, test, but no. it doesn't have
0: DeFi. So it's just like sending to you a, a Bitcoin mm-hmm. address. It also uh, process like um, passes that check. But if the miners start to censor, David. Right. That's where you get into, oh, it's not passing the test here. Um, Solana and Avalanche and many other networks have not gone through this, but that's something you can test.
1: By the way, being tested is bullish. Because if you are being tested by nation states, it means you are threatening to nation states. Yes. And the TAM of a nation state is under duress by that nation state. Right, It, it, It means that Ethereum is now pushing up against something as large as the United States. And the United States is saying, I don't like this, stop it. And Ethereum is like, Well, the United States nodes will stop it, but I'm gonna continue going.
0: Why? Because it's a protocol like TCPIP, protocol. Does it get yep. does it decide? I mean, mm-hmm. no, because it's a decentralized protocol, right? That's what that's what your network should be. And by the way, if this ever becomes not the case, and Ethereum is unable to process an OFAC-sanctioned mm-hmm. transaction, okay, mm-hmm. then you'll know it's not decentralized. So and these asset tests apply equally across Mm -hmm. all chains. Um, And I think there's an acid test for how much MEV is being extracted by centralized parties in the future.
1: We can start to measure those things. MEV is a parameter for measuring the centralization of the blockchain supply chain.
0: I think we can start to measure what's the uptime of your chain right? Because that has to do with with censorship. If a nation state can just disrupt you know, right. your chain and throw it mm-hmm. offline.
1: Solana I, is approaching one year of 100% uptime. In February, it will cross its one year mark. Congratulations, almost. In February,
0: it was down for 18 hours. <laughs> I'm just saying like, okay. And then, you know, last year, I mean, they're getting
1: better. It's whatever. It's getting, it's, better. Guess, it's you getting know, better. We're chewing glass right. and stuff. Right. But like, It's getting better, but in an environment, Ryan, that is not antagonistic because- Solana has not run up against as large of a power of the United States as America. And so when it does run into that test, it is, Solana is currently in a imagination environment, whereas it has not been faced with a reality environment. If something like Tornado Cash got deployed on Solana, it w- might invoke the ire of the nation state, and that would be a real test. But right now we are in the joyous la-la land of no reality, only narrative. Yes. Everything's sunny. Everything's just like, you know, it's a sunny field of meadows of low transaction fees. Everything's great.
0: Yes. And the proof will be not in the religious word of decentralization, however Mm -hmm. we define that. The the proof will be are we able to pass these asset tests? And by the way, it's not a given that Ethereum will be able to pass these either. It's really freaking hard to do this. It's really hard. Yeah. (laughs) Well,
1: I mean, like, look at the the, uh, increasing of OFAC compliant blocks at the very beginning before Ethereum. Took this problem extremely seriously. It was it's at scary, eighty-five right? to ninety percent, like OFAC uh, censorship. Now, uh, now
0: that still means your
1: transaction goes through. By the way, as long as you longer. have any green, yeah. it just takes longer. But um, getting this down to like, uh, what are we? down to like... We're down uh, to like 33%. So what does that mean? That means like if you process a tornado cash transaction, there's a 33% chance that your transactions get censored in the next block. And then there's a 33% chance that it gets trans, uh, censored in the next block after that. And so like, you know, in in, in enough blocks and, in, and, you know, 33%, you know, one third chance, you're going to get that transaction verified pretty damn soon, within a minute. Yep. Um, in when it was a, somewhere at like 85%, you might be waiting up to like five minutes, but yep. it always goes through and eventually... And we like that number to be sooner rather than later.
0: Yep. And by the way, if all of these kind of collapsed and we fail on any mm-hmm. of our chains to pass these um, these decentralization acid tests, then mm-hmm. guess what, David? I think we've recreated uh, TradFi. Yeah. And uh, we may he as well less just- less money in that world. Yeah. And we may as well be very bullish on these uh, more you know, like centralized, uh, I, I guess, systems. Uh-huh. There we go. That was a lot of takes.
1: Anything a lot to, of take to Yeah, I think part of this, just to frame where we are in this cycle and why this conversation is happening is because we are in the midst of a changing of the seasons. This is a tweet that I liked from Chris Berniski, who goes, as a long-term investor, be loud in the bear and quiet in the bull. And I followed up and said, I know a Chris changing of the seasons tweet when I see one. (laughs) Uh, This is Chris just saying, hey, like I've been loud in the the bear market. He was very loud about calling the bottom right after FTX collapsed. Congrats, Chris, like great call. Uh, he's very loud about you know, the growth of Solana over the next year. He's also that has painted uh, numbers for him in the market. And now he's I think he's kind of giving us a wave goodbye. It's like, OK, that was that was now. the bear market. I'm going to be quiet now because yeah. it's the bull market. And so this is, to me, a changing of the seasons. And this is also why we have seen risk go down the market cap stack. And because uh, we are seeing people try to price in the future. Uh, and so to conclude the show, this is my, the last tweet that we'll read out here. I say in bull markets, fundamentals are bearish and narratives are bullish. And why is this true? Because narr- because fundamentals ground you in reality and narratives are all about what you can imagine the future to be hypothetical futures and the world, the the sky is the limit. Anything's possible until you're Cardano and you invoke smart contracts into the system. <laughs> They're also very fleeting,
0: right? Narratives move from from one uh, place to another in like three-month cycles, right? Uh, Anyway, uh, I will start to quiet down, I think, a little bit when ETH is more reasonably priced. At 2.2K, it is not reasonably priced. It is hilariously undervalued from my perspective, at least in the bull market. Guys, this has been Bankless Takes. Thanks for staying with us. Got to end with this. Of course, and disclaimers, you know crypto is risky. You could definitely lose what you put in. Prices go up, they go down, but we are headed west this is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the Bankless Journey. Thanks a lot.
1: And Ryan, we've gone on for about an hour in this episode and I just did some little napkin math on my calculator here. Uh, In the hour that we've been recording, Ethereum has burned $440,000 and Solana has issued $450,000. And that is where we will leave this episode.